Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Hey everyone, Yas here. And I just wanted to say it's great to have you join me today because I'm sure we're going to have another fantastic episode. So whether you're here for the first time or if you're one of the repeat loyal listeners of the show, I truly appreciate you. But before we get to today's guest, I just have a small favour to ask. And that's if you could just take a brief moment to hit the subscribe button if you haven't already. Ensure that you share it with all your coaching friends and don't forget to get in touch, guys. Let me know your thoughts on what you think of today's episode or any of the recent episodes you've listened to. You can do this on Twitter at The Coaches Net. Once again, that's at The Coaches Net. And please make sure you do, as I'd love to hear your thoughts, guys. Anyway, on to today's show. I hope you enjoy it. Have a great day, guys. The Coaches Network. Hey, guys, you're now listening to The Coaches Network podcast, a podcast aimed at anyone who's passionate about athlete, talent, and personal development. My name's Coach Yas, and I'm a UEFA A licensed football coach, coach developer, and content creator. I'll be sitting down with a range of guests to discuss their journeys, their life lessons, and how you can make an impact. Enjoy. My name's Coach Yas, and I've got a special guest with me today. My guest today is Lee Povey. Good afternoon, good evening. Uh, Lee, how are you? I'm good. Uh, I really appreciate you uh, speaking to me at this time. I know it's nine o'clock your time and one o'clock in the afternoon my time. Awesome. I'm really looking forward to this one, Lee, and seeing where it takes us. But just before we get into the thick of it, maybe just a brief insight around who you are, what you do, and we'll go from there. Yeah. Um, former athlete myself, was on the GB track program as a junior, so 17 to 18. Uh, Realised that although I was good, I wasn't going to be, I wasn't going to go and win the Olympics. I wasn't going to make a career out of it. So um, moved out of sport, got into the corporate world, uh, was a, a real estate agent, first for a large company, then opened my own. Um, and then 2007, um, I was sitting in Cottbus in Germany, watching the European Track Cycling Championships, an athlete that I coached, or I had coached, was competing for um, Team GB. And I was sitting there with his dad, and I thought, oh, I don't want to go back to work tomorrow. I don't want to go back to being an estate agent. I'm done. So went back. Sold my business, got incredibly lucky. I sold it December 2007. The property crash in UK happened January 2008. So I got out at a very fortuitous time. Um, and then I went full-time into coaching. So at that point, it was uh, cycling coaching. So track cycling coaching. I created my own private track cycling coaching business, partnered with a friend of mine, David Legrice, who's a bit of a legend in the sport. And we were running... We're doing individual coaching, but we're also running camps specifically um, for athletes who wanted to experience what it's like to be on the national team, but either we you know, hadn't got to that level yet or were older and we're doing it as a master's racer. Uh, and then uh, COVID came. Um, well, I'm skipping this. Get, I, I moved to America, started another business here, uh, set up an Olympic development program here for USA Cycling. Uh, so that was their national team program to find track sprint cycling talent. Um, and then COVID came and um, I pivoted into leadership coaching and coaching other sports coaches. And uh, I feel like I'm at my thing now. Everything has felt like it was building towards this. This feels like my purpose. 
Awesome. I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that. And it is, again, just to give you some insight, I'm, I'm a, I've got a very curious mind. My mind is already blowing with a bunch of questions for you. Um, so I guess, you know, I, w- I want to take you back to right at the top of what you said that you said, that, you know, you were an athlete yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess really early on, you realised you weren't going to make it. Let's talk about that to start with. Where 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 does that come from? What what did you start to notice? Because um, I'm really I'm really curious, obviously, because there's going to be a lot of coaches listening to this, and hopefully, you know, working with a lot of different athletes at different levels of the game, um, within football and wider sports in particular. But what does that look like from the perception of an athlete themselves who's on that high performance pathway, but recognizes actually I haven't got what it takes to cut it? And what what was it that made you feel that way? Yeah. There's a variety of factors. One, um, I was involved in the Great Britain Cycling Programme just before um, lottery funding started. And it completely changed when lottery funding came in and they suddenly had professional specialist coaches, strength and conditioning coaches, track sprint coaches. So my coach um, was an endurance coach who was trying to coach me as a sprinter and they didn't know what they were doing. I mean, they didn't. Uh, so I'm doing three-hour road rides for an event that lasted less than 30 seconds. So, and it was all you've got to get fit, and just the physiology behind it was very far behind where we are now. And I knew at that stage, I'm arguing my coach, going, "This doesn't feel right. Like, why aren't we hitting the gym? I'm looking at people in other countries, and these lads are big and they're like they're strong. Why am I hitting the gym?" But when I did start to train effectively. Uh, and I met a much better coach, this guy, David Grice, I later partnered with. He was actually my coach for a time. I started to train effectively and I was like second, third, fourth best. There was always somebody that was better. And that person that was better, I could look at them and just see that they were genetically more gifted than me. So even though I could train as hard as them, uh, I had the same desire as they did. They were just better. And I was good. And I actually had a second career as a master's athlete. So that's 35 plus and won quite a few national championships and European championships, often because I was better prepared and optimized my competition because I was a good coach. So I was good at coaching myself. Um, but there was always people that just, you see them, you're like training in the gym with him. You're like, okay, this person is lifted 200 pounds more than I can lift. It's just a different world. So, and I've coached young athletes that, you start coaching and immediately you know if they have the social background needed so if they have the family system the coaching system the support mm. they could be olympic champions they have that level of talent you know it's quite interesting because you know again i've, I've jotted on a bunch of questions that have just flown mm. through my head already and you know i'm just thinking there you said that last piece around that support network i think one of the biggest things that i you know i've observed with um many young athletes in particular it's not so much sometimes the lack of support and the network around them, but maybe uh, the considerations and actually the, you know, the awareness of that of what the network has, in the sense that something that I, you know I strongly believe, and I say this to parents all the time, especially when I'm working with young footballers, there's you can have the best coach, we can help as coaches give them all the right information, all the necessary uh, things that they need to kind of be best equipped to kind of go down that route and really try and become successful. But but one thing that we can't coach is that innate want and desire to actually go on and become what it requires to become an elite athlete, if you like. Um, What are your thoughts on that initially? And then obviously kind of just to tail off on that, you mentioned there about training effectively. 
what does it mean to train effectively? Obviously, it's sports specific. Obviously, I get that. But, you know, what are some kind of, in your experience, maybe some fundamental principles which are just universal, if you like? Yeah, love that question. Thanks, Yaz. So let's start with um, motivation and desire. I strongly believe you cannot motivate somebody else to do something. They have to want to do it. What you can do as coaches is you can create environments that people can flourish in. So we can create environments that foster teamwork, even for individual sports, just having a collection of athletes that train together. So you see this in track cycling, you see this in athletics, where you have training groups and rivals will come and train together um, because they know that they'll get more from that training group. Um, genetically, you know, so quick aside, my mum fostered 100 kids over a 10-year period. Um, now I'm in the, the emotional wellness leadership space, I've done a lot of research into emotional genetics. You know, what are the personality traits that we're born with? Some people are just born grittier with more determination, more ability to survive setbacks. And then we get into our family unit and our family unit either supports that or doesn't support it. You know, so an issue we see now with younger athletes is their parents have not allowed them to develop self-reliance and resilience because they protect them so much. So instead of these kids having the opportunities that probably me and you had when we were younger to develop our own resilience, you know, if it was sunny, my mum would open the door and say, off you go, son. Um, you know, now kids are driven to school. You know, I used to walk to school from when I was 10 years old. I used to ride my bike from when I was 11. And there is a, there's a balance, right? There's a balance between making sure that our children are safe and then giving them opportunities to develop that self-reliance that's going to be important. Add that with a genetic predisposition to be you know, mentally and emotionally tough or, or durable. And that's where your most elite athletes come from. And then we have like a kind of gray area where you can just have exceptional coaching. Um, I've seen this numerous times. You can just find that right coach, that person that can really support the athlete where they're struggling. Um, but there still needs to be something innate from that athlete that they can deal with it. And and usually those athletes are ones that can deal with the training very well and they just struggle on race day. And then that, that coach steps in and supports them or the sports psychologist steps in and mm. supports them on race day. And um, But you've got to have a desire to be able to train at a level to be able to progress the genetic talents that you have. And there's no way around it. I've never met a high-performing athlete that didn't train at a reasonably intense level. You just, with today's sport we're selecting athletes so carefully now most countries have some kind of selection process for most of the sports that you're finding such high levels of talent being ridiculously talented isn't enough and and it's a bit of a misnomer in my experience there's a lot more talent in the world than people realize uh, we all know really talented people that didn't go on and do something in sport i've met hundreds of them in my experience or on my journey um I think of it as this three-pronged approach. You need the physical talent, you need the emotional talent, and then you need the support network. So that's the coaching network, the family system, a sport that gives you an opportunity. When I was young, there was not that opportunity in British cycling. There was no funding. They didn't have the coaching network at the time. And luckily, that's changed massively, and British cycling is now the most dominant cycling nation in the world. Um, so I think it's a, it's a combination, yes. And... You know, I've worked with young athletes where we've had the conversation at some point, are you going to become a professional athlete or are you going to go and do something else with your life? And, and it's especially tough for the really smart kids 
it's like you're going to go to university or are you going to become a professional athlete you know you're going to go to college you're going to go to the business world and i support the ones that say no i'm going to go and do a professional career instead as much as i support the ones that say i'm going to become a professional athlete because you've got to follow your heart on what feels right for you yeah and just, you know, just to kind of build on that you know what so and you know you talk there about being there being so much talent and i totally agree with you and i think something that i've really kind of been looking at recently is the idea of well you've got all these talented individuals um some of them are just leisure individuals and some of them are just performance individuals and you can it doesn't necessarily mean that you can't have performance individuals in a um in a lower performance environment if you like um but i think it's much more about their behaviors in terms of you know i guess a leisure athlete you hear about it all the time you know the footballers who are they're not even they're not even bothered about playing playing football they just happen to be exceptionally talented and it's just you know they've managed to find themselves a pathway in the game at a senior level where they're making x amount of money and, and i'm sure that applies in in many industries right um but then you've got the performance athletes if you like the performance individuals who are they just they are so determined just to get better at everything they do um and it doesn't matter what level they're at they're just very competitive in their nature in that respect so i get you know i get where you're coming from around that genetic piece around you know just that natural grit and determination piece um but i think there's a really interesting piece here that i think maybe doesn't get discussed enough right is the ceiling on the perception from the coach in that you know, I've, I've, I've challenged a lot of coaches recently just to give some context around what I do. And I'm, I'm, obviously, I do the podcast itself, but in, in my day to day, I'm kind of a coach, mental coach developer myself. Um, and I'm always challenging coaches like, you know, when, you, when you're putting a, when you're you know, conducting an observation of any sort on a player or an athlete, are you conducting that observation on the basis of where you think you can take them? Right. And this is really important because obviously there's a lot of self-awareness and accountability needed on the coach's part to say, actually, do you know what? That person may have something else, but I don't think I'm the one who's got the necessary the key to unlock it. Uh, and that's fine because every coach, as as every athlete, will have their strengths and areas of development. Right. Um, but that, that piece there around, you know, I think coming back to the training effectively, is what, what does it look like for you in your experiences Um someone to train effectively and what are maybe some of those universal principles that we can start to think about actually well even if i have got a ceiling on my perception of what it looks like as a coach to get this player to the next level if this is what training effectively may look like then can we start to develop an environment at least where those players are able to kind of do that if that makes sense yeah oh what a fascinating subject yes um where do you want to start with this something i see a lot in sport is dogma so um, most coaches are ex-athletes who've moved from being an athlete to being a coach in most sports. That's the typical pathway. Um, we are now seeing a, a different approach, especially in the UK, of professional coaches that have come through a university program. They've come through a sports science background. And that's really helped change the way that we look at sport. Much of these things are measurable. We can measure how different training protocols affect people and how they respond to them, both as individuals and you know, across a larger group and organization. And we are luckily moving away from the era of, well, let's just do it the way I did it because that's what brought me success. Well, you, know, you might have been successful because you were the most gifted physically. And that's what we often see with coaches, physically gifted athletes become coaches. And then people want to be coached by them because there's a charismatic element to it. Oh, my coach is an ex-Olympian or my coach played for Man United. 
Yeah, but they don't understand coaching. They don't understand leadership. They don't understand communication. And we'll come back to those in a moment because that's a little bit of a different topic. Um, I think training effectively has an element of courage, being prepared to try new things. Where I got to at the end of my sports coaching career was I didn't have any training philosophy. I completely ditched any attachment to any particular type of way of training. And instead, I, I consider it a uh, train with the best knowledge that I have now. And if something better comes along tomorrow, and, and I don't mean joining the latest fad, like, you know, if you only eat, you know, sea fish for the next nine months, you'll gain 20 pounds of muscle. I'm talking about, you know, data-driven training modalities. But if I could find something that I could prove and we could we could quantify was going to be better, I switched to the, the new training protocols. So I'll give you an example. Um, we built an eccentric training cycling rig. So we built a recumbent bike. So a recumbent bike is one of the ones you sit down on and kind of lean back and you have a back to it. And we built an electric motor and it pushed the pedals backwards. And the motor was so strong that even my physically strongest sprinters, and we're talking people that are squatting, you know, 500 pounds, 200 kilos plus, they're very strong athletes, couldn't slow down the pedals at all. But what they're trying to do is to slow down the pedal so that we can work the eccentric part of the cycling motion with huge loads. And you could produce much more force doing that than we could concentrically. Uh, very few people in the world were doing it when we did it. We found it through a professor of a university in Utah, and it was like, come and try my rig. It's going to rock your world. I did it as a 45-year-old man. I'm 50 now. I was 45 at the time when we did it. I put 50 pounds on my deadlift in two months. And my deadlift had been static for two years. So we knew it was a very powerful training protocol. Um, we also we also messed ourselves up because we did too much of it and it's incredibly debilitating. The most painful thing, it's not painful doing it. The next day when you try to get out of bed and you fall over because your legs don't work, it's pretty painful. I think though that the latest wave of coaches are just braver, like they're being more yeah. courageous. There's also this thing in sport, and this comes from both coaches and athletes, I don't want to change something because if I change it, I might get worse. So we look at it from a loss basis rather than the gain basis of, well, if I change it, how much better could I be? And, and I had a mindset flip at some point in my coaching career where it moved to that, let's look at how I can change things and gain. And if it doesn't work, we'll stop. But the chances are we're probably not going to lose a lot. But the upside could be massive and the downside is probably not going to be that big. So that switch in my brain of like, I have no ethos I need to hold on to. There's no way I need to train. It's whatever is best at the moment. I, I'm so glad that you mentioned it because obviously I think a lot of it, it's really just take it's being vulnerable, isn't it? In, as yeah. a coach and recognizing that actually, you know, I haven't got all the answers. Sometimes there might be something better behind the next door. Um, and it's something I'm, I'm constantly saying to coach, you know, we just got to try something different. You've got to have it in your mind every single session that you go out there, regardless of what sport you're working with, regardless of who your players are and whatnot. Just try something different because you don't know what you're going to get, but you know what, what you're likely to get from what you're already doing. So even if it just reconfirms and clarifies what you're already doing and say, actually, I'm going to go back to that and say, I've got something else I can want to try, then fair, fair enough. But try it anyway. Um I'm curious, obviously, because, you know, you talked there about that eccentric piece. Of, it, it just it just takes me to my, my mind in the way that I 
like to train my athletes in, in particular where everything is just done in a high intensity right um you're really trying to exhaust them physically and obviously i you know i understand the the limitations around that and you know the some of the measures that you need to kind of take into consideration as a result of that but my belief is that well if you're you know in a high performance environment yes we've got all data and you know analytics around people being overworked and whatnot but fundamentally the more we can get them in that kind of that red zone if you like surely that it's going to be better for them when they you know when, when they're on the back end of it and yes it might exhaust them initially but also part of that's also exposing them to another level of intensity what what are your thoughts on that and you know and when do you think that it's, it should start to be considered if at all um within a youth youth capacity yeah love that i'm just going to go back slightly to to what you said so I think this is attributed to Einstein. I'm not sure if he actually said it or not, but it's usually attributed to him, which is a definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result. Yeah, we see that in sports coaching all the time. Let's do what we do. And let's do what we did last year. Why aren't we getting any better? I don't understand it. Because we're not providing enough of a training stimulus. You know, for you to get faster, to get stronger, to get more endurance, there has to be some progressive overload. So there has to be more or it has to be more intense. Um, I very much came from the point of view that I wanted to train harder than the race. So the race day actually feels easy in comparison. Um, but what, you know, there's one flip that happened for me that was really useful. And that was training to the limit of my ability to recover. So I just put so much effort on recovery because your training has always limited your ability to recover. If you cannot recover sufficiently to train hard enough to get that intensity, then you're now not training at a level that's going to help you improve. So I was very focused on like, what do I need to do to recover well enough to be able to train effectively? And as I got older, I trained with more intensity, but with less volume. And the intensity was often really, really high, but the volume was less so that the load was enough that I could recover and then be able to train with really high intensity. Again. Mm. So for, you know, for football, an example might be, you know, you'd see films, right? So you see coaches in films and they're always making their athletes run laps, like go run laps. Well, you know, for different places on the football pitch, the requirements are different your strikers will not be running as much as your midfield players will. Your midfield players need a bigger aerobic event engine than your strikers. Your strikers need to be fast. To be fast, you need to limit the amount of endurance work you do. If you do too much endurance work, you will become slower because our bodies adapt to the training that we do. And it was a big issue for sprint cyclists. They were doing too much conditioning work and it was making them slower. And what we want is for them to do the minimum amount of conditioning work and a maximum amount of speed work. And that's what I would take to soccer, you know, football. If I was coaching uh, a football team, my midfield, I would want them to be able to do as much repeatable bounce as possible, not steady state, but repeatable bounce. And my strikers, I just want them to be as fast as possible. I would give them as much rest as I could. I'd want them to be as fast as possible because ultimately the first person to the ball is going to win a lot when you're a striker. So it's looking at each individual component in your game and thinking, what does this athlete require here? And then you mentioned youth sports. Now, I might have a different take on this to other people. I'm fairly passionate about this. There's a statistic that most junior world champions in a sport don't go on to become an Olympic champion. 
In fact, the correlation is surprisingly low between being a junior world champion and an elite world champion or an elite Olympian. Often because they get injured, they lose their desire for the sport because they're doing it for somebody else. They're doing it for their family, their parents, their coach, their community, um, or because they just get completely burnt out with it. I believe we should do as little as possible physically with young athletes we can get away with and make it as much about enjoyment and playing the sport and build a love for the sport than the actual physical condition in itself. Let's just be clear here then. What, what are you defining there as a young athlete? Because, you know, I think, you know, yeah. it's probably Good really question. important, right? Yeah. So for me, I wouldn't look at an athlete younger than 14. I wouldn't coach an athlete younger than 14. Anything, you know, lower than 14 for me, they should just be playing. They should be doing multiple sports. Um, and they should be upskilling themselves. You know, at 14, I was swimming for my county. I was captain of my school rugby team. I did track cycling. I did cross-country running. None of those affected my ability to be an effective track cyclist later so, on. Would it be fair to say, because this, uh, this is my hmm. view on things, and I, yeah. I was interested to whether, see whether you'd agree with it or, or not, in that I believe once they get to that kind of 14 sort of type, you know, 14 and maybe even depending on how how high performing or how you know how well they are performing at this stage if they're 13 um that's when we start to really kick into high performance mode if you like from a perspective of some of these athletes you know obviously every sport is slightly different but for some of these athletes they could be going into senior environments or very high highly competitive environments as soon as they hit 16 so for me, I'm thinking, well, they need to start getting exposure to that piece. Let's just say 14 onwards. And what, I really, what I'm really talking about there is really even just um, shaping and supporting with that, developing a mindset of how competitive sport actually is. That winning mindset, that, um, you know, that, that, that essentially the layer that goes on top of the foundation that they've got as an innate desire to want to compete, if that makes sense. And yeah, you're right. You know, they want to have fun, explore different sports, learn, see what things you can transfer from, from sport to sport and see really that. Cause obviously, like you said, you know, the, 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 there's research out there with, you know, with regards to early specialization and how, yes, there might be higher competency at an early age, but the longevity of the person in being involved in sport in general kind of dies down from that 14, 15 age. Whereas if you look a lot of the pro athletes across different sports, well, they don't really start specialising and really start, you know, like I said, moving into that kind of high performance world around it um, until they are 14, 15. You know, even even Roger Federer, you know, the greatest pet tennis player of all time, didn't specialise in tennis until he was about 15. And now look at him. So um, obviously there is cases and arguments for the flip side. You know, you, you just probably the most obvious one I can think of is Tiger Woods, maybe. Um but what are your thoughts on that in terms of when when to start introducing them to that high performance space and you know something that yeah. a phrase that you used just before we came on was you know pushing players too hard too early what 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 are your thoughts on that um personally i let the athlete drive it um you know you'll see a lot of and, and actually for me i held athletes back more than i pushed them so you know i'd have the very driven 14 15 16 year olds I would prescribe them less training than they wanted to do, less racing than, than they wanted to do, more fun, uh, you know, less talking about cycling. Because I think there's a bunch of different things you can look at there. So you can have people that's flame 
burns very bright, but for a very short period of time. And we see this and they retire early because they don't, they just don't want to do it anymore. They're burnt out emotionally or physically or their body's injured. When I look at this, I want an athlete to have as long a, you know, a long as sustainable career as possible. We don't need to be Olympic champions at 21. In fact, if you, if you, if you win a little bit later, you tend to have a longer career as well. If you went early, your career tends to actually be shorter. And for me, physically, I wouldn't start doing hard training until they're 15, 16. You know, girls and boys are a little bit different. Uh, girls tend to mature physically a little bit earlier than boys, so they can actually handle harder training a little bit earlier than boys can. Um, but really, until they've gone through puberty, much of what you're going to do with them isn't going to have any lasting impact, right? You're not going to put any muscle mass on them. The coordination that they learn from it isn't going to change anything. What you're really looking at is how they understand things. So you're talking about that cognitive learning. And that can be done just as well in a playful environment as it can a serious environment. And again, you want, you want longevity with stuff. Keep it play for as long as possible. And the good professional athletes I see, they still keep it play. You know, I, I, I moved to America. I'm like, I've got to find a sport here I love. Football takes, you know, American football takes four and a half hours for a game. I, I don't have, I'm a sprinter. I don't have the patience for that. Baseball is even longer. Hockey, my eyesight isn't good enough. I can't see that puck moving around. So I ended up with basketball. And it's a sprinter sport. And, you know, the period when the Golden State Warriors were doing their best, there was an energy around them that they were enjoying playing more than any team that they were facing. You could just feel it. The camaraderie mm. between them, the joy on their faces, they loved playing the sport. And I think the more play that we can introduce, and I, I don't know if you've seen it, I love the series Ted Lasso, massive fan of it because they capture that so well. The more play you can have, especially in mm. team environments, the better the team's going to do. And for me, the, one of the ways to work on that was to focus on process, not outcomes. So focus on being very good at what you do and the outcome will take care of itself rather than focusing on we've got to score goals, we've got to win matches. It's be excellent, the goals will come. Be excellent, you'll save the shot as a keeper, right? You know, be in great condition, be That's, able to move fast. Yeah, I'm just thinking, that. obviously I'm thinking out loud now, what, what, what does that look like practically, you know, if being excellent? Is it a case of... Um, just your application or your execution because obviously these are two fundamental things obviously coaches are looking at right in terms of how you approach a situation looking at process as opposed to outcome or actually how well your process is because I, I i you know very early on in my coaching it was very much about the outcome it's very much about but the, the process was very rigid and now you know kind of probably moved down the other end of the spectrum where so well I, I just want to support my athletes in understanding the process that works well for them but have a clear understanding also what the outcome is that we're going after as a result. Um, and then let them explore what process might work best for them within that. But maybe just highlight some considerations they haven't yet thought yeah. about as well. Yeah, I love that approach, Yaz. And it's what I often see in high level coaches. You know, when we first start, we have this ego, right? We want to win and we want our athletes to win. And we're also trying to prove to ourselves as much as we're trying to prove to everybody else. I'm a good coach. And how do I get judged on being a good coach? I get judged by whether my, my teams win or not, or whether my athletes win or not. And then it becomes a point where you're like, what's this really about? And for me, it became about the athletes leaving working with me as better human beings than when they started with me. That was my focus. Like if I 
if I create an environment where they become better human beings, the Olympic success will be a byproduct of being a better human being. That's, that's how I move to it. And I'll give you an example. I was coaching um, a, a coach at the Olympics and um, he has some fantastic athletes. He's an incredible coach. And leading up to the Olympics, what we were most focused on were two things, making sure his athletes were prepared technically and tactically. So going over like, you know, race footage, making sure that they were ready for that and support him in that, but mainly making sure that he enjoyed the experience and they enjoyed the experience. That was the biggest thing that he wanted from the Olympics was that he went to the Olympics and everybody enjoyed their experience there. He was confident that the athletes were in the, in the shape necessary to go and win. And they would either, you know, the winning or losing would be dependent on whether they were the best on the day or whether somebody else from another nation was best on the day but there was nothing he could change about that they were ready physically to perform and he wanted them to enjoy it and they did and they won three gold medals and a silver medal um so you know it worked and he sent me a text afterwards and it said something like you know listing the medal count and you know this wouldn't have been possible without you but he put this line on it that made the most impact to me and he said and the biggest takeaway was i enjoyed myself i went to an olympic games and i enjoyed myself you know, we can make these things such high pressure environments. There's so much desire to perform and so much fear of failure that we forget this should all be fun. You know, a lot of the work I do in the corporate world is I work with very successful people who are running companies that are hundreds and millions of, uh, sorry, billions of dollar companies. And they come to me because they're in their 40s and their 50s. And like, Lee, I, I thought I'd be happy. I'm making all this money, right? You know, I've got a nice house and a nice car and I can go on any holiday I want. I've got an attractive partner. I thought that was it. I thought I'd be happy. And they're not happy because they haven't quite figured out the fulfillment piece. It's exactly the same for sports coaches. Sports coaching is one of the shortest careers that people can take. Um, often, you know, if you're not working at the premiership level, if you're not working in the NBA, nobody knows who the coach is. They might know who the athletes is. And when you do an Olympic sports, nobody knows who the coaches are. We know who the athletes are. If the athletes mess up, the coach gets fired. If the athletes win, they get all the plaudits. So for most coaching positions, you're doing a job that's not well paid, that's usually long hours, that's stressful. You probably aren't getting the emotional support, financial support, leadership support that you need. And you don't even get the plaudits when the athletes win. It's like, oh, well, you know, you're coaching so-and-so. He's really gifted. Well, yeah, but still, I, I coached him. <laughs> I wrote the training program. I held his hand when needed. I did the stuff. So, you know, it, it's an interesting profession for us to take on. And I see so many coaches get burnt out because they believe it's about winning. And when you believe it's about winning, <clears throat> you don't win all the time. Nobody, the best coaches, know, there's nobody with a 100% winning record. So you're always going to be disappointed. Yeah, no, I think I think it's spot on, and I think it's something that is, you know, kind of just really makes me think about the way I coach athletes. In that, I, 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 and I say this all the time, that my number one goal with any athlete that I work with is not to get you to win, not to get you to necessarily be successful, but help you to become more aware. Is probably the best way to put it. More aware of, okay, I've just done this. I recognize and I can understand the the variables which can impact on my ability to perform. I can recognize and I'm aware of when those variables were or were not present 
and what allowed me to get success versus what you know what maybe uh, stopped me from getting success in any given moment and essentially get to a point where I'm able as an athlete to self-reflect on that without the coach's input and I you know I firmly believe if I can get an athlete to that point where they're starting to really I guess reflect and think deeper around what those considerations what those variables are then I've made myself redundant right um fundamentally I want to get to a point where I've made myself redundant to the point where I've been able to have such a positive impact on you and your ability to get to that point that you don't even need me anymore you just want to be working with me um and I think that's when you know coming back to what you said that's well that's when the relationship between the coach and athlete just becomes fun right because it's like well yeah I don't even need you but actually I want you around because you've helped me so much you've had such an impact on me that I'm actually and, and I think that in itself not only support it got, comes back to what you were saying about developing the individual because that's actually going to now be hopefully some skills and um things that they can transfer across to their daily lives right in terms of how well they reflect how well they ask their you know they start asking questions of themselves how well they, they hold themselves accountable uh, and recognizing what high performance is in any industry in any walk of life right um but you know something i'm quite interested in, obviously in, in your sport in your world of coaching to talk, talk to me a little about the, you know the, the the element of individual versus group coaching what what is the dynamic there is it you know because obviously you're going to be working with multiple athletes um and something that was really interesting that you said earlier about um the rivals get together and i and i and I'm a, I, I love that because for me I, I just think back to even a couple of weeks ago when i was working with some players and they said i was working with some defenders and they said well why why have we got less players well these are the opponents that you get these are the level of the opponents that you're going to be playing against um but i've given them more players because it's going to be easier for them now if it's easier for them well then it's got to be harder for you i'm not making it harder for you for you to enjoy it now necessarily but you're going to reap the benefits on the back end of it because you're playing underloaded against players of the right level um which i found quite interesting because when they asked that question their first thought was oh you know have we done something wrong well, no, actually, you've done everything right because you've allowed me to get to the point where I can put you in this position in the first place. Um, so is it, yeah, just, you know, just kind of to come back to what you said about the individual um, and obviously those people getting together and the rivals. What does that dynamic look like and, and how, how does that get impacted and influenced by your ability to work with individuals and group coaching in, in, as a well? whole? Yeah. Oh, man, so much to explore there. Ron, I just really appreciate you, yes, that, that you have this outlook for athletes. I completely agree with your statement that your job as a coach or our job as coaches is to get to the point where the athletes don't need us. You know, you should never be holding anything back. You should always be giving athletes everything that you've got for them to be the best versions of themselves. And as you were talking, I was thinking of kind of a description of coaching as being facilitating somebody else's self-awareness. So you are facilitating their self-awareness, their growth, and giving them all the tools they need to succeed. Because, you know, I could go to a world championships in a different country, and I could get ill on the plane, and I could be stuck in the in the bedroom, especially in the days of COVID, where you could get COVID and not even be able to be trackside because you get tested and fail a test. So I get to the world championships, my athletes don't have me there. What do they do? Do they fall apart because their coach isn't there? So I very much agree with our job as coaches is to partner with athletes to enable them to be the very best versions of themselves so they don't actually need us 
but they want us. Because there's still an element of emotional support, safety, they use us as sounding boards, you know, tiger words, you mentioned him earlier. Um, and I, I, I didn't respond to that, but, you know, would I want anyone else to have Tiger Woods' experience of life? No. He may be, you know, one of the two best golfers who's ever lived, but I think he's actually leading an incredibly unhappy life and has had a lot of unhappiness in his life. You know, the money, the fame, doesn't matter. Um, I think there's an unhappy man there. <clears throat> I wouldn't wish his existence on somebody else. So, you know, I'm looking at, I want to create emotionally healthy human beings that can go on and when sport ends, have wonderful lives and the tools that they, the discovery tools, the self-reflection, the ability to analyze themselves dispassionately, the ability to have tough conversations with teammates and coaches, mm. all of that sets them up for the rest of their lives. It's, it's a reason why lots of corporate companies employ exports people because they know they've had a grounding in toughness. They've had a grounding in doing these difficult things that tends to serve people well. And they're usually a very uh, motivated human beings. Uh, I'll tell you a quick story before I hand it back to you. And I, I mentored an athlete who went from me to a national team program. And we were talking and he said, I just want you to know you're still the best coach I've ever had. And I was flattered. And I said, well, thank you. But hey, you know, you went on to bigger results with another coach or other coaches than me. I said, what do you mean? And he said, well, you're the only coach who truly felt like a partner to me. And when I came to you with suggestions and ideas and questions, if you didn't know the answer, you'd say, I don't know the answer to that. Let's explore it together or let's, I'll go find out or let me find an expert in that somewhere else. He said, every other coach I've ever worked with at some point has said, they've given me the answer and I know that they're making the answer up. They don't mm. know it, but they don't know mm. it. And that goes back to the partnership you're talking about and the vulnerability of, I don't have to have all the answers. That isn't being a leader. <laughs> I, I, I'm so glad that you mentioned that, right? Because I've got I've got this this thought that I, I share with coaches all the time, especially within coach development work, and that we can't be experts at everything. We can't be. It's not possible, right? Um, should we be? I, no, 100%. I mean, I can't be Lee. Lee can't be me. There's going to be things that fundamentally that I'm able to do that Lee can't and vice versa. And it's not necessarily even that we can't or, or, or do them necessarily, but there's fundamentally going to be things that Lee's stronger than me at. And that's absolutely fine. As long as I'm aware of what those things are and where I am strong myself, um, then that's where I should operate most with me and my element, right? Um, <laughs> I, I use this example all the time and I say to coaches, you know, when they when they ask me, oh, you know, yes, I'd like, you know, love to, you know, get some support from you or, you know, have some mentorship. And they say, you know, and if they ever come to me and say one of the things that they're struggling with is time management, I say, well, look, when you find the answers, tell me because I'm struggling with that too, right? Um, and I say, you know, I say it as a joke, but it's just like it's just to really highlight the point. Well, look, we've all got things that we need to work on, um, but as long as we're aware of what those things are, then we can start getting on on the way to that journey. And just coming back to the journey piece itself, something that you touched on, another thing that I often um, speak about a lot is that players should never feel that you as a coach are always leading the journey yeah. right for me it's kind of almost if you like um three kind of versions of what a coach should look like in, in, in a in a relationship with a player or an athlete it's there's going to be times where you're the one you know driving and they're in the passenger seat 
there's going to be other times where you're in the passenger seat and they're driving you're there as a source of support but it's going to be those times you know i'm sure you can you can relate to this where actually they're the vehicle they've broken down they're in the driver's seat but now they just need a they, they, actually their car's broken down they need a push stop so that's when you might have to be a bit more direct and be a bit more guiding guiding um have the arm around the shoulder kind of approach and it's just recognizing what's needed and when it's needed but also who it's needed for in that moment yeah. there's no one right way to coach any athlete or any group of athletes other than the way that works in that moment for them and i think the beauty of that is that every session is different every interaction is different if you're considering right who's in front of you what state they're in again what state you're in um and being honest and open about that because you know as much as we talk about being able to shut things off and the, you know you, you've mentioned all the, some of the challenges that come with being a coach right long hours stressful um, lack of support sometimes and there's so many challenges that beyond that that come with it these are just your challenges never mind what they've got going on and yeah you would bring all these things together now you've got a mixed bag of save big on brunch for mom all in the kroger app get 16 ounce packs of flavorful angus 90 percent lean ground sirloin for 4.99 each with a digital coupon then buy two get two free on 12 packs of delicious coca-cola pepsi or 7-up all with your card Shop these deals at your local Kroger today or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. God knows what you want to call it, right? And I think it's just really important to to understand that that vulnerable piece. Actually, I don't have the answer to that question. So do you know what? Let's unpack it together let's learn let's and, and so again one, one of the biggest things i'm working on with players at the moment i have been in the last couple of years is this idea around what let, let's let's um let's try and cue our attention to what this feels like right how does this feel for us so when we when we're going through a process or when we're going through um a, a different type of practice or we're looking at different techniques or introducing different types of techniques as, as, a, as such then it's how does it feel does it feel right? And I'm, I'm working with this idea of flow um, and it's a really big piece of what I'm doing at the moment. Just understanding, right, well, what's flow for Lee? What's flow for John? What's flow for Michael um, and whoever else it is? And it's just, is there um, a cloudy perception on what flow feels for you right now based on the fact that this is a new way of working or this is just a way that does not work for you? And I think you you would know straight away this just doesn't work for me. And the difference between that and actually, do you know what? I'm not used to this, but I, I, I can see it working. So you know, again, just a little bit of a, a ramble there, but just any thoughts on that? Um, first, do you mind if I do a little bit of teaching? Um, what's your understanding of how we learn new skills? Um, so yes, I think first of all, there's no kind of set way that we learn but I think fundamentally it's I'm going to assume where you're taking this um, and it's fundamentally linking emotion to um, an event which then allows us to kind of ingrain those memories and build those you know kind of I don't know even know what the word is now I've lost it but you you know where I'm going with this you know I mean there's those kind of patterns are, are, are kind of built through um, linking back to emotion and, and the and the events in which we kind of interact with if you like Okay, so I'm going to give you a different model that I think is really helpful for people when they're learning. So um, the first thing that happens when we're learning is um, we we are unconsciously incompetent. 
So we don't know how to do it and we don't even really know what it is. So that's, you know, we'll use tennis as an example. You know, we're trying to hit the ball. We might miss the ball. We don't know how to hold the racket. We don't know how to get the ball to go where we want it to. And it just feels horrible. And we're like, oh, how do I do this? Um, and it's really important to recognize that that's the stage for everybody. So when you're talking about like flow state and you're talking about people learning something new and going, oh, this just doesn't work for me. They have to get past that stage first to judge it. And we all have that stage. And it might be moments or it might be weeks. It really depends on how complex the new skill is that we're learning. But just knowing that we will be unconsciously incompetent. We don't know how to do it and we don't know even really what it is. Then we get consciously incompetent. So now we have an understanding of what the skill is. We just can't do it because we haven't practiced it enough yet. So we don't have the coordination, the understanding to do it well. But we have some idea, right? We have some basics. We're now holding the racket correctly. We know what we want to do. We want to hit the ball over the net. We know roughly what that feels like, but we're just not doing it very well. Then we get to consciously competent. Um, and this is often a stage where, where people get to and, and they may give up because they'll get to this stage and it feels really taxing because you're thinking a lot about what you're doing. It's not yet subconscious. So we're thinking and it's really tiring. It's like, oh God, this is so tiring. Why is it so tiring? And then we get to the next stage, which is unconsciously competent. We're not actually thinking about what we're doing. And then we get to mastery. And mastery is what people will also label as flow state. It's just happening. You know, the best example I can think of described is John McEnroe talking about his first Wimbledon win. And he described the tennis ball as looking like the size of a football and moving at the speed of a football instead of the speed of a tennis ball. And it just felt so easy. It, it was too easy. And, and that's when you get to that flow state. And I've experienced mm. that in races where I know exactly what the other rider is going to do. I know when they're going to do it. And I'm almost bored. I'm like, come on, just get to the point you're going to do. Right now, I'm going to do my thing, and now I'm going to beat you. Um, I'm smiling because, again, I literally just had a conversation just yesterday and uh, with a coach. And it, actually, let me start with this question for you. Hmm. Um, so I've have, I've had an ongoing debate with with a friend of mine for about six or seven years, probably 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 close to even eight, and. Just to give some context, I, I never really played football at a higher level. Um, I don't really watch much football now at all, but I'm coaching and I'm coach developing within the sport every day. And I often get asked, why don't you watch football that much? Yes, I said, um, in my opinion, there's not much that's going to change that I'm missing out on. Um, and secondly, I can't watch it as a fan anymore. I just I find myself analysing and observing everything in that respect. So it's it's just not as enjoyable in that respect. So, but point point being that I share an example, and I've, you you maybe can re, can understand and maybe relate to it in your sport. I'm not sure exactly how the coaching elements are in cycling, but everything is in response to it. Something. I'm working with Lee. I say Lee, right? Stop. Lee, I just want you to have a think about this. Right, move over here for a second and just uh, and tell me what you see. Da, 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 da. But as I'm working with you in that moment, John over there sees that I've moved Lee two yards to the left and moves two yards to the left. And it's I, I use that as an example sometimes. And I, and I actually catch them in the moment. I'm very observant of these things. I say, well, hold on a second. 
John, why did you move there? Oh, because Lee did this. Now, share that to kind of make the point. Some things just happen and it just makes sense. That's how the game is. You will respond to what you see. And that, that response is based on what the stimulus is in front of you, right? And I'll come back to the question is, do some people just not get it? is my question and this is the debate i've been having on go with a friend of mine for for several years um his view is yeah some people just don't get it and my view is this um some people can get it earlier than others but we don't understand why some people get it you've talked about emotional genetics and different things and there's probably an element of this and there's probably some research out there kind of supports some of this stuff and looks that i'd have to delve into deeper but my view is this as coaches we've all got a bunch of keys right we've got 20 athletes in front of us but we've only got 18 keys and only one key can access each door well there's two athletes that aren't going to get accessed via us so this is where now when we're building teams whether it's leadership teams or whatever well this is why we want us to have people that are different to us right we want some diversity in our thinking and diversity in our application just so that by the off chance the keys that lee has access to as different to the keys that i have access to the fundamentally those 20 players in front of us have their door opened at one point or another but my my thought my, my you know coming back to what you said that i'm just trying to think exactly what you said and it was just around the idea that well fundamentally there's, there's certain patterns that exist right do you believe that those patterns just exist or do you believe those patterns have to be taught from a perspective that on when i'm working with players i'm saying to them this isn't definitive these are not things that are definitely going to happen the history of the game and aligned to my understanding is here are some obvious patterns and some typical trails of thought in terms of stimulus response stimulus response and these are just how it is yes you're going to get players who think outside the box sometimes but it's very rare you're going to see something new now what what are, you, what are your thoughts i don't even know where the question ended up in there but if you get where i'm going with it i'll see if i can drag something out of it for you yes. um, <laughs> So I think establishing that people learn in a particular way yeah. helps them when they get frustrated to normalize it and go, it's normal. You should feel unconsciously incompetent right now. And you might have a skill that is, is fairly well developed. You've got to the point of consciously competent. You're not thinking about or, or subconsciously competent. You're not thinking about it. You're doing it. And we want to undo it and we want to improve it you know go right back to unconsciously incompetent so something you thought you could do well suddenly feels terrible and you can't do it if you've ever worked with a weightlifting coach and you've ever tried to do a power clean so olympic exercise there's days when you go in and you feel really great there's days you go in you cannot do it it's such a technical exercise you kind of lift it off the floor like a deadlift and you're like uh i don't know what to do now and you start overthinking it conscious so just knowing how we learn, I think, is important for coaches and athletes to understand where are you in the learning cycle? And it goes backwards and forwards. And sometimes people will skip a step and go straight past stuff. And sometimes they'll get stuck in the stage. That's worth knowing. Then to answer the kind of the broader question, um, I think in lots of sports, there's fundamental patterns to the sport. And then something new comes along. So I do think it's worth like, searching the new like you hear somebody's doing something interesting go watch that mm -hmm. i think watching hours and hours of the same stuff we're going back to the einstein thing of like you know doing the same thing over and over again expecting a different result 
But there are times when something new gets developed. Every sport I've ever been involved in, there's a period where somebody has an idea and you're like, this changes the game. The way that we were doing it before is no longer the same. Um, I work with a friend who worked, uh, one of my best friends worked with speed skating. It was an aerodynamist from track cycling, got involved in the speed skating. He changed the way they did an event in speed skating based on aerodynamics completely changed it they did it in a completely different way first team to do it immediately started winning then everybody starts copying so so there is a point of like you want to follow the latest research um but we've also got to understand you know your question do people get it don't they get it i think it's our job as coaches to give them every opportunity and every different way of learning possible so are we talking to them are we showing them are we moving them are we getting them to go and do some homework mm. and write it down? So are we giving them every opportunity? I'm severely dyslexic. So if somebody gives me uh, concepts in writing, it just doesn't work for me. I can't read scientific studies. Yeah. I have to read my, I send the study to my friend who's a university professor. He reads the study. He breaks it down for me. We debate the study. And it used to really freak him out because he'd say, why can't you read this? I'm, I don't know. I can't. And he's like, but you understand this better than my graduate students. I'm like, well, because you're explaining it to me now, I can get it. And that was before I was diagnosed as dyslexic. I didn't understand that's the way my sure. brain worked. So as a coach, we have to also think, how am I showing players to do this? Am I videoing it and showing it to them? Am I physically moving it? Some people just need to physically experience. Move me in the place. There's an event in track cycling, a standing start. You're held in a gate and you go from zero to as fast as you can by being released by this game. Mm. And you need your body in certain positions at various phases of the start to get out of the gate effectively. Mm. Some people can watch it on a video, immediately repeat it. Other people watch the video, get on it and do something completely different. They're like, what are you doing? And they can't feel it. So you literally just have to get hold of them. I need your head to be here. I need your shoulders to be here and move them where you need them to be. So yeah. Elevating our coaching is understanding how are we connecting you talking about keys? How am I changing the key to connect with this person in such a way that they can understand the message that I'm teaching to them? And then lastly, we all have a ceiling and we have a ceiling for understanding complex patterns, for example. And it's not necessarily based on your cognitive intelligence. You might not do very well in an IQ test, but be able to see complex patterns in front of you. I'm terrible at the written word, very good at complex patterns. So when I used to do track cycling in bunch events, I knew where everybody was all the time. Uh, I, I started go-kart racing two years ago. I know where everybody on the go-kart track is all the time. I just know. I, it's not something I can explain to you as to why I know it, because I just know it. Yeah, and it's interesting because, it, again, one of my earlier thoughts while I was having this conversation was, do I have to be able to explain everything? Do I have to, or rather better yet, do I have to be able to explain how I know? I, I, I can't explain everything. I just know. <laughs> it's just it's just a thing. Just trust me. Try it and do it. And then kind of leading into what you just said then, is this something I'm massive on? I, I'd say it's a, a fundamental pillar in, in my own coaching kind of philosophy, if you like, is um, this piece around show and tell. Every time a coach makes an intervention, um, you have to have a visual, right? Because my experience tells me there is going to be a large majority of those players, unless you're extremely lucky, they're just not going to get anything you say. Just show them. 
because you're going to end up having to show them anyway. And if you go back to your, you know, your P, you know, you mentioned there about uh, the phrase about insanity, doing the same thing over and expecting a different result. I'm sure you've seen it loads of times, right? And you're working that coaches, they say it, say it again, say it again. Nothing's changing. The players clearly haven't understood it. Just because you said it three or four times, guess what? They just spent three or four times still not understanding it. Give it to yeah. them in a different way. So everything I do, and I love that you mentioned about um, the, the movement piece, right? Because I'm actually massively big on that. Literally moving people into positions. I want you to move here, but I want you to move here when that happens. Show me what you think that looks like. Brilliant. And that's another piece I'm massive on in terms of that clarity of communication. I want to, I, I genuinely want to know what have you understood from what I've said or what I've shown you, because I need to know that. And I, I don't get when coaches don't want to go through it and they say, oh, but that, like, it can become long-winded. But guess what? You hit everything long-winded on the front end, the back end just becomes smooth and relaxed, right? Because they've already got it. They understand it. It's, everything just becomes a reference point at that point. Um, and then even coming back to the point that you mentioned earlier about flow in that, okay, you know, you... I'm thinking how, how best to uh, give an example. Um, right. So if we're thinking about flow, the, the, the variables are going to be the same for everyone. Those variables are not going to be any different. But I, I've recently started using this phrase, are we observing the game through our eyes or the player's experience? And that's how, if we're observing it through our eyes, we're not going to understand truly what flow is for them and what influences on that flow, right? Whereas if we understand it through their experience and observe it through their experience and more specifically gain clarity on what they understand to um, be influencing their ability to perform. So yes, there is time, there is space, there is this, there is that. And we're still going to be contesting with the same factors, right? But however, you've said yourself, okay, well, just given that example, I'm just assuming now, and you can correct me if I'm wrong. Well, you can navigate yourself in tight spaces because you're quite aware, aware of what's around you just because of that's you that's like really um, good awareness yeah it, 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 exactly right whereas i might not have that same capacity i might actually well 10 people around me might be one too many in comparison to your 11 right you can handle 11 i can handle 10 i well i need i need nine to for me to feel comfortable right and it's i think it's so important that we understand that yes everyone is contesting with the same and similar variables but how how deep does that go, if that makes sense? At what point does it become on the borderline of this is maximal pressure for me, I can handle this. But actually, if those 10 people were a centimetre closer and literally going to that nth degree of identifying it's a centimetre closer, I'm not physically expecting people to do that. But if that's the minute observation you can make, then surely that that just transforms everything that we can do with the athlete and understanding how well they can perform and what those processes then could look like for them and again i don't think we actually need to be the most well-versed person as long as we're aware of what the variables actually are and how they can transpire if that makes sense yeah again we've all got certain genetic gifts and then our job as coaches is to develop those genetic gifts as much as we can and a large part of that is our understanding of the sport that we're doing and our ability to not just physically, but mentally play the sport as well as possible. And there's a few things I want to pick up on what you said. So one is, and coaches really just miss this often, is the coach's view is very different from the athlete's view. You know, what I see on the sidelines of a velodrome is this big picture. 
like I see both athletes clearly where exactly they are on the velodrome. When you're in the front of the race on the velodrome, you are actually spending most of your time looking backwards at the athlete behind you. So number one, you have to learn the skill to be able to ride very fast without looking forwards, which is a difficult skill. Some people just can never master that skill. <clears throat> and then you have to have an understanding of where on the track you are by looking down at the same time as you're looking backwards. And again, that's a difficult skill. Coaches forget that because they stand on the sidelines and they don't understand what it looks like. So sometimes it's beneficial as a coach to put yourself where the athlete would be and go, what do I actually see now? Another thing is when we're working with people, and this used to be my biggest failure, I'd come in and I, I could see it all, right? Very observant, I'd see it all, this is what you're doing wrong. And I, I think I fixed it, right? I come in, this is what you're doing wrong. One, my approach is fairly aggressive <clears throat> and they get defensive, like, fuck you. <laughs> you know, you're telling me what I'm doing wrong. Uh, and, and secondly, I've not checked that they've heard it. And this is a big skip that I see coaches make, as you said. We've all seen it. The coach on the sideline screaming at people, you've got to do this, you've got to do this, without ever checking if this, that the athlete understands it or the player understands it. Like, often they don't, right? They're listening think, and they're hearing you, but they don't yeah. understand what you're trying to tell them. I if think for me, though, Lee, I think... to repeat it, they'll never know. Well, I, th I, think, I think there's two parts to this, right? And I can, mm. I can share a perfect example of this recently. Um, and for anyone that's listened to the podcast, you may have heard me share this response bef uh, before, but I recently had an experience where I was supporting an athlete um, on a match day and there was two players in particular that I was talking to. And so, like I said, something I'm massive on, everything I do is I, I, try, I try and avoid asking, do you understand? I'm not, I'm not interested in whether they understood. I'm interested in what they've understood because they may well think they've understood but actually the two things might be completely misaligned right in terms of what i've tried to get across to them and what they've taken from it so the biggest the question i always ask is can you explain back to me what you've understood or can you share show me an example of what you think i mean by this um so i'm very very big on that and it it was interesting because i'm, I'm going to stop you i'm going to stop you there because i, I want to make that distinction that you made really clear to anybody listening because it's a vital distinction you see coaches say, do you get that? Are you good? Do you understand? How many athletes want to put their hand up and say, no, I don't get that? So picking on people and saying, hey, Bob, uh, repeat back to me what we said there. What are you taking away from this? Mm. Is massive. And if you're not doing that, you'll have a lot of athletes that are nodding their heads because they don't want to be the person that's saying in front of their buddies, I don't get this. I have no idea what Coach S is talking about. I, I just think that's a vital distinction to point out is it's really big in how we help people learn is and, and it ties in with what you said before and I'm going to give you a challenge myself those things where you say to athletes I don't really understand it but just go do it my challenge to you is see if you can figure out why mm. because the more you can figure out why things work the easier it is for you to explain it and, and that's our challenge as coaches is yeah. It's not just, yeah, we know this works. Well, because we see it. I, work, I, think, I think more specifically, um, what I really meant by that is it's not a case of not knowing the why as to it's, it, it, it's, it's that understanding of, well, some things are just going to work and you have to understand if it's done in this way, this is the influence it's going to have. 
Um, so I think more from that perspective, where it's why you know I can't explain it. It's not something I've. But I think one of the things that he just made me think about was that when when I do have those moments, I'm really quick to catch play because I'm like I'm very observant of the players in the environment I work in, and I'm really quick to catch them and be like, look, I didn't make that up. You've just responded to X. X has happened, and you've given the response of Y. That wasn't anything I've asked you to do or anything. You've recognised that because you've recognised that this is a, this is what should happen in this moment based on, you know, if we're looking at football as an example, the fundamental principles of the game. Um, obviously, that might be slightly different depending on what sport you're in, but fundamentally, there's a pattern there, right? There's a there's a there's a framework which you're utilising to observe and respond to what you see. So I think that piece is really key. But coming back to even the the clarification of understanding piece, I think it's yeah. so important that. Um, and, and I echo everything that you've kind of said there and that the best way for me to put it for coaches is that if you understand what your players understand, that will help you understand what has been effective within your own communication and what to potentially leave behind is ineffective. Yeah. Oh, actually, they understand it when I did this or they understand it when I did that. Or And I think the, the, the bigger piece and I think... Um, just to kind of contradict slightly what you said there is I'm not worried bothered whether they repeat it back to me I'm just more interested in what they've understood use your own words explain it to me how you want to explain it show me if you want as long as we're on the same page I could not give anything more than that all I'm interested in is has my message hit you in the way that I needed it to hit you however you've interpreted it the, the repeating back part is for you to see the gaps yeah it's like okay if you repeat it back to me, you don't have to say it word for word how I said it. But what I'm doing is I'm looking for, have you got the point that I was looking to make? Yeah. And do you understand it? And can you take it away and implement it? Mm. So as my understanding of this has got better, I, I do workshops on how to give feedback now because I was so bad at it. And it's like, right, I had to really learn it and understand it. And everything I do, I finish with, what are you taking away from this? And now I would bring that to athletes. So it'd be like, right, repeat back to me what are you taking away from this right tell me one thing you're going to implement now that's different from what you did before mm. and there's times and places you know when you're in the middle of a of a pitch and you've got stuff going on and you just want to get it done quick it's like right can you repeat that back to me you got it great all right okay there's something else we need to work on now's not the time but i'm going to note that down and i'm going to pull this athlete to one side and say later let's go over this i think there's a bit more that we can get from mm. this and let's go backwards and forwards until you get them where you want to get them. 100%. And some people are great at that. Like some people just, they're sponges. For me, the best athletes for me to work in, you know, you talk about our limitations. Um, I'm a high performance person, full stop. You know, genetically, I came out of the womb. I want to compete with you, whatever it is. I play games against my poor wife who isn't competitive at all. And I'd like, I have to turn that off because otherwise she gets annoyed with me, but I don't care if it's connect four, if it's tiddlywinks, if it's, you know, hand football, foosball, whatever, I want to win. That's the way that I am born. And, um, you know, I've learned how to deal with that because it doesn't make your friends. If you turn that on and have that on all of the time, you're going to know when it's important to turn it on and off. And I also know for me, I have to have competition in my life. If I don't have competition in my life, mm. I'm not a good person to be around because then I just go looking for it. It leaks out and I go looking for it everywhere. So I need some competition. Yeah. Um, but just, you know, some people respond really well 
to and the best athletes I've worked with are those that respond really well to that. They're hungry. They're coming to you and saying, give me more, make it more challenging, help me understand it more. They're the ones that always stood out for me. Yeah. And I'm just thinking wider on that as well. And there's something that I'm massive. When you talk there about, you know, um, providing feedback, giving feedback, also I think seeking feedback is just as important, right? So um, in an attempt to kind of clarify my understanding and my awareness around what players have found effective and useful in my sessions, and even when I'm working with coaches, the the question I always ask, um, I guess at the departure of an event, whether it be training or, or match day or even throughout, and I'm very careful of how I frame this and it's, what's been your most useful takeaway so far or if there is a, a, a series of takeaways what have been your most useful takeaways and i, I think yeah. straight away it just frames it in a way where actually it challenges them to actually look deeper and say well straight away that just, I, I feel like my experience tells me that it's already put them in a the frame of mind where, where, where there's some useful things here what are they and it's interesting because obviously asking that question it, it really challenges and I guess brings awareness to me around, well, these are the things I was hoping my players with all my athletes or the coaches I'm working with get out from this. But this is actually what they've taken. So it's actually really interesting sometimes just to see that. So then you can see, well, OK, well, that's fine. There's some further learning for me because actually I didn't realise that wasn't an actual takeaway that could have been extracted here today. Um, and that's fine. And if it's if it's still surface level, that's not a problem either, because it just allows me to, again, better identify, well, where do I need to plug myself in next? Um, or where do I need to guide their attention to next? And I think that that piece is really key. But that the follow-on from that is, I want to know your most useful takeaway. How are you now going to use that going forward? What are your thoughts around that? What's your action? You know, what's the what's the plan of action for it? Um, so yeah. I think that piece is really key in terms of just not only getting, again seeking feedback for ourselves and clarifying what our message has actually been able to convey, but also what the players have actually taken and how they uti- how they look to utilize it. Because I think that piece is really key, right? Um, I can't remember who said it or what the, who, it's, who it's been. Um, I think it's been associated with Bruce Lee, in fact. So, you know, not, you know, the whole knowledge is power quote, right? Knowledge is only power when you apply it. Um, so let's turn this knowledge into power by explaining how we're going to utilise it, right? Um, so I think, that, you know, that piece is massive for me. And I'm, and I'm really glad that we kind of touched on that as well. I, I am conscious of time. So, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm going to ask you, you know, f- f- from your perspective, in this conversation that we've been, you know, we're having for the last hour or so, what would you say is the most useful takeaways that you would like coaches to kind of take on board and think about? You don't need to know it all. I think that's so important to know. And and there comes a confidence with that, right? You get to the point where actually you feel more confident because you know you don't know it all and you don't need to know it all. Um, what you need is curiosity and an agreement that you will either find it out or you'll find somebody else that understands it or you send the athletes away many times i've sent an athlete away go and look that up and come back to me with what you find right you don't need to know it all and i'm being comfortable with that it's much worse to pretend you know something you don't than to say i don't know let's investigate it um leading by example you want people to be curious be curious you want to put stuff in practice. You want to be able to be good at giving feedback. There's two sides to that. One, you have to be good at accepting feedback. So, you know, another level from what you were just sharing was when I did national team camps, I would invite guest coaches to come in and support us. We'd finish the session and I'd say, 
what would you have done differently? What could we do better next time? And then I'd go, and what are you taking away from today? And what are you, and what's going to change about the way that you coach from this? Because I'm looking for that feedback because I can't, I'm not watching myself coach, right? Somebody else is watching me coach. And I, hey, Lee, you're probably a little bit harsh with that athlete. Good, thanks. Actually, I was, I was feeling a bit frustrated with them. Thanks for spotting that. I'm going to own that. I'll go and, I'll go and apologize to the athlete tomorrow and say, hey, I was a bit harsh with you yesterday. That's on me, getting a bit frustrated. That's not on you. Let's go back and see how we can do this a different way. When you speak to human beings like that, be that fellow coaches or athletes, the impact is massive. Like it is massive. They will they'll walk through walls for you. They will step up for you and for themselves. Um, make it fun. It's got to be fun. Like otherwise, why are we doing this? If we're doing it, I'll give an example. I coached a master's athlete, guy was 60 plus, very successful businessman. He was he was retired. He was now a professional athlete for all intents and purposes, right? Coming to the velodrome during the day, working with me and my high-level athletes. And his only happiness was when he won. And in age group racing, especially when you get to his age, what tends to happen is that when you're the five-year band, so you compete in, you know, 65 to 69, then 70 to 74. <clears throat> As you get older, you decline in performance. So by the time you're getting to the last year of the age group, you tend not to be as good as the people who are the youngest in the age group. And he would get to that last year or two and go, well, I'm not going to win. And he would be grumpy for the entire year, every training session, well, I'm not going to win. And like everything was downbeaten because his happiness was dependent on the result. Happiness should be the process and in the moment. Enjoy what you're doing. Lean in. Enjoy the time with your friends. In 2010, I crashed and I broke my shoulder really badly. I broke four bones in my shoulder. And it reset everything for me because it made me realize sport is a privilege. And being able to do high-level sport is a privilege. And it really made me go, who do I want to be around? Who do I want in my training group? Why do I want them? Do I want them because they're fast or do I want them because I enjoy their company? And I need a mixture of all of it, right? I've got to be around people whose company I enjoy. And I would, I had this ethos on the national team. If somebody was good, but they ruined the environment of the training team, they didn't get selected to the program mm. because the overall ethos and environment for success is more important than one single human being. The mm. New Zealand rugby team have a term for this, no dickheads. So you can be the best individual athlete in New Zealand at rugby. If you come in and you have a crappy attitude, you will not get selected to the national team. So just just to build on that and kind of you know move mm. it off slightly. What what would your guidance be? You know, kind of building up in terms of the environment for coaches, right? Because I think it's just as important. I think it, it probably doesn't get enough um, enough enough conversation around it around just how important it is to have those individuals around you as a coach, those that are going to stretch and challenge you, those that are going to help you enjoy yeah. the environment. You know, so just, just any, any insights on that? Yeah, I love that question. So um, what I found um, when I created the national team program here is some of my kind of local level rival coaches, my relationship with them soured. They were like, oh, it's unfair that you've got the job, even though I actually created it and went and found private funding for it. But they'd be like, oh, it's unfair that you've got it. And I don't want to share my ideas with you. I actually befriended the national team coaches in other countries. And we would share ideas with each other. And it goes back to the training groups of 
you know, the best people in the world coming together to train together, even though they're rivals, even though they're going to go compete against each other. Um, there's something about letting go of your ego and going, I just want to be the best and I want to be the most curious. And I, it was amazing that I found that in other national team coaches. And we just would share ideas and we loved the sport. Like we just loved the sport and we wanted the sport to progress and we wanted each other to progress as human beings. We wanted our athletes to progress. The athletes will, sort, the athletes will take care of it on the day. Right. And as you said, I mean, there are new ideas, but there's nothing that's going to completely like, OK, that's the silver bullet now. Nobody can ever compete with us ever again. And, and as soon as somebody finds the next game changing idea, everybody just copies it anyway within a year. So, you know, there's, there's no thing where you're giving away these secrets that are going to be, you know, change everything forever. So I think just having humility to know that you can reach out to your rivals and you can be friendly with them and just enjoying, you know, just enjoying it. I, I think for me, that's so important. Enjoying the curiosity, enjoying when you make mistakes and saying, mm. oh, I fucked up there, guys. Let's try that again. Right. Highlight it. Don't ignore it. Yeah. yeah. And I'm, I'm just thinking about everything that you're saying. And I think it's just that age old phrase. Right. And iron sharpens iron. Yes. Are we around the people? And it's interesting. I was speaking to a coach recently and, and I said that. In my early years in coaching, I probably um, I probably suffered a lot in the fact that I often worked alone. I often worked alone. Um, there's no right or wrong to it. It is what it is, right? Um, but I also always think about this one period in particular, um, probably between 2016 to kind of 2017, where I was coaching regularly, but I had so many other coaches around me not just that I could speak to, but actually I was in environments coaching with other coaches. And that was probably the best, um, if I look back on it, the best in terms of uh, the peak of trajectory that I thought I had in in my coaching, in my development as a coach. Um, And it was interesting because it was not just people that thought how I thought in the, as an outcome, Um, we had fundamentally different processes and how we're going to get there but people who actually challenged and um, in many respects critiqued what I was going after, why I was going after it and how it maybe contrasted and contradicted what they were going after. And I think having those people around you and having those opportunities to have debates um, around that type of stuff was interesting because, again, even I think I was just watching a um, an interview recently with Mark Warburton, who used to be the manager of QPR and uh, Brentford and a couple other clubs. Um, he recently just left his role as an assistant manager at West Ham United. Um, and he talked about how his fundamental style of play and his philosophy and his approach to everything was literally the polar opposite of what David Moyes was as the as the West Ham manager. And actually, that was the reason why David Moyes actually brought him in. Because he wanted someone that was going to come in and just have a fresh set of eyes from a completely different perspective yeah. on things. And not to say that one is better than the other, but um, we don't know what our blind spots are. That's why they're blind spots, right? And I think the thing that I always say to coach, you you know, you talked about earlier and um, being able to say, actually, there's confidence in, I don't know. And having freedom off the back of that. I think the thing that I say to that kind of coach is when, I, when, I, when we're talking about this type of thing is, well, now that you know you don't know, it's your responsibility. So... 
enjoy the fact that you don't know <laughs> because now you know it and, then, um, and you've highlighted it, it. You're aware of it so you've got you've, you've got no excuses now I think uh, you know not, and I often you know I've, I've used it many times in webinars and and, and, and workshops that I've delivered in the past that you know what we're about to go through today you may not know anything about but it's is good news and bad news the good news is you now know what you don't or yeah you now know what you don't know but the bad news is if it, if, it, if it goes left from here it's your fault um I, I so I think you that, know it's yes. really it's really it's really interesting um kind of you know again just sharing ideas with coaches all the time and I think that's what the podcast is all about um yeah. any parting messages from you Lee yeah so um uh one there's people like me that exist coach mentors right I work with high level coaches to give them more self-awareness as they do to their athletes to help them be the best versions of themselves if you find yourself or you think you're the smartest person in the room then you need to invite some more people into the room um and that's not saying i'm smarter than you because that's not what this is about what i'm very good at is spotting blind spots for people helping them become aware of them and then helping you have the tools to address those so that you can be happier more effective a better leader you know whatever mm. it needs to be for you to be the best version of yourself mm. in support of your athletes being the best versions of themselves. And, and that is something a lot of coaches either think they don't need or they're afraid of. I often come across fear. You know, my background is I've been in men's groups for 30 years and I'm talking like men that get together to sit around to talk about their shit. When I first went to those, I'm like, why am I, one, why am I here? You know, basically dragged to it by a friend. I'm like, why am I here? What are these guys gonna teach me? Every time somebody would surprise me with something they shared or something they told me, and I'm like, I've not looked at it like that. Or here's a space that I can talk to people and I'm going to get no judgment and I can really start to get my shit out. That's the role that people like me and myself do for, I do it for high level business people and sports coaches. And I love it. You know, I do it for mm. sports coaches because I love it. And I think there's not enough leadership training and support for sports coaches um you don't need to do this by yourself right you can employ people like me go find mentors go and find other people in the sport you know i got connected to these world-class coaches by going up to them at cycling events and saying i really like what your athlete just did there do you want, do you want to talk like literally just introduce myself and say i want to talk to you and it's amazing what a little bit of you know not false flattery but a little bit of recognition can do when you mm -hmm. recognize what other people are doing and i think that's something that's lacking in sport is us recognizing each other for our good for the good mm -hmm. intentions that we have for the good that we're doing the old authoritarian model of coaching where the coach stands on the sideline and shouts at athlete about all the stuff they're not doing right they're done athletes now can google anything and they can have the answers about physiology and tactics before that you've got them for them. So now it's it's partnership model. Mm. And you said this so clearly earlier. You know, it's when we're working with younger athletes, there's an authoritarian model because they don't know yet, right? And we're teaching them. It's a teacher to child model. And then as they become more mature emotionally, physically, they have more understanding of their bodies and their minds, then we move to a partnership model. And that partnership will ebb and flow. You know, sometimes you've got to be the big baddie and you've got to make selection decisions or you've got to tell somebody something they don't want to hear. And other times you just listen. You don't say anything. 
and an athlete pours their heart out to them and you just listen and you thank them for sharing it with them and you don't even need to fix it you just need to listen that was another thing i learned from men's groups it's not our job to fix everything all the time sometimes people just want to vent or they just want to be heard and there's immense power in that and that's why i do what i do because lots of people don't hear sports coaches the, the buck stops with you right yes you're the man everybody's coming to you and saying help me yes help me yes help me yes who does Yaz go to to go, fuck, I'm overwhelmed. I have an issue with time management, right? Most people don't have an issue with time management. They have an issue with boundaries. They have an issue with being able to say no to stuff. That's the issue. Or they, they take on more than they're physically capable of doing. It's not because they don't understand how time works. Most people understand how time works. It's because you feel bad about saying no to people. Uh, yeah, I think, I think it, again, I, I'm conscious. Don't want to ask any more questions. We're just going to go off on a whole another, a whole another tangent. But no, I'm really. Um, we can do this again, buddy. I, I'm happy no, most definitely, most definitely, we should do. We will do. I, I'm, I'm sure. Uh, Lee, massive thank you. Um, I really appreciate your time today. I, I, I really mean that. Like I say, you give me a lot of food for thought. You've really got my mind blown in so many different directions at the moment, and I'm, I'm hopefully, um, that'll be the same for a lot of the listeners now as well. Um, again, massive thank you, Lee. I really appreciate your time. Hope you enjoyed it, man. Yes. And if anyone's listening and wants to speak to me, just Google me, Lee Povey. I'm going for a rebrand at the moment. So I'm changing my company name from Maximize Your Potential to Povey Performance. But uh, if you Google my name, Lee Povey, you'll find me. Come and come and talk. Awesome. Thank you, buddy. Cheers. Well, there you have it, guys. Another episode of the Coaches Network podcast, where our aim is to bring the world of athlete, talent, and personal development together to just one platform. And you can help us with that mission right now by sharing this episode or any of your favorite episodes with everyone that you can think of. You can tag us in those mentions as well on Instagram at The Coaches Network or on Twitter at The Coaches Net. We look forward to hearing from you. Let us know what you thought about today's episode. And until next time, guys, take care. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com, the tool that makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and goals, and the Wondersuite tools will automatically lay out your WordPress website or store in minutes. Seriously. From there, you can customize your design, pick your brand colors and add blocks, no custom theme or coding required. You'll get content suggestions that you can keep or revise. And with Yoast SEO built in, we automatically help you get found in search engines. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins to an AI-powered help bot, our built-in tools make WordPress wonderful for everyone. Whether you're a beginner or a pro, you can join over 2 million Bluehost users. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. That's bluehost.com slash wondersuite.